Hey, welcome back to Affiliated. We've got a great episode here with Ian. We just wrapped it up. Uh, he covers some great things about the fixed water campaigns and why that went viral, why those ads work, how to hire copywriters. He's sold hundreds of millions of dollars through his copy, knows what he's talking about. Let's dive in. Well, Ian, thanks for joining me, man. I've got to say that you're probably the most like confidently I won't say humble. I don't think you're a humble person, but you're most like confident person and just about you person that I've met. I think you're, wow. you're definitely in the top three. I mean, I say that with praise, not like a, I appreciate like a jab. that. Yeah, I, I'm working on humility, so thank you. <laughs> I am. I am working on that. Uh, that's actually a very high compliment. Who are these other two people? Uh, we should probably not all hang out at once. Well, you know, the funny thing much. is, like the, the other two people, I don't like. Right? They're like they have the confidence level of like kind of a douchebag. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like me before therapy, probably. Sure, yeah. Like yeah. How I used to be. People used to be like, I don't think I like that person. Oh, gotcha. I think yeah. I met you right when you started therapy, maybe. Good. Yeah. 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 So it was a good time to meet or you. Or you were just drinking with me, and I'm a good time there. That might have been it. Yeah. Those beachhead darts. But <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'll go that way. But no, um, I want to kind of start this off by asking you, because I think most people know you or maybe have heard of you as a copywriter, right? Like, oh, Ian, oh, yeah, he's a copywriter, right? And in your book, you bring up a good point where it's like, once you have a label like that, people kind of associate that with something you put in the box. So I want to ask you, like, what do you label yourself as in this whole like direct response world? Because I think you do a lot of really cool things. Yeah, I found that it was hard to, when I used to just call myself a writer, um, I think whatever, whatever our identity is, we tend to do more of that thing. So whether that's you identify as a poor person, you tend to stay a poor person. If you identify as a fat person, you tend to stay a fat person. If you identify as being in shape, you tend to get in shape. And our subconscious moves us towards whatever we identify as. And when I was a writer, I wrote more. And when I stopped calling myself a writer, that was a weird part of it was I, I stopped writing as much. But it was very good business-wise because it felt so limiting. I felt like I was in this tiny little box like, Oh, you're a copywriter. That's what you're Well, I also, the first video I ever did, I drank toilet water and it went, you know, wildly viral and sold a bunch of water filters. And then I did these parody videos and I, you know, did everything for the email lists and did all these, you know, and, and created products and did all these different things. So I found myself feeling like, okay, well, you can label me as a copywriter, but I've done all this other stuff. So I actually, it was Michael, uh, it was Hollis and Michael. How this is a person I know very well. <laughs> this is the concussion. I can't remember okay, his, his last his name. name. <laughs> uh, baby Bathwater. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. How can yeah. I let's say his last name from? This is insane. I know him so well. Oh gosh, I'm blinking. Too if now. he watches this, he's like... going to just rip me apart. I got I had a concussion ten <laughs> days ago. I'm going to blame it. <laughs> it's just going to pop up in a minute. But he, they actually came up with this idea of like a persuasion hit squad, and so I started. From there, calling myself the persuasion hitman, and as, as douchey as that may seem, um, but it, it's sort of even on the the back cover of the book and on the sales page for the book as well. It's like people want to put you in a box; they want to label you as something. And when you're put into that box, you're compared to everybody who's come before you. So if you're a copywriter, you can charge what a copywriter charges. You can you know do the things that a copywriter does, and you also are labeled into all the mistakes that copywriters have made in the past. So when you're a persuasion hitman, you're in your own category. And when you create your own category, you're first and you can charge whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> and that was sort of the big part of that. But that is where I started. That was the first skill I developed online was copy. So you're just kind of writing long form copy for like different 
offers? The like, first thing you know? I ever wrote was, uh, well, technically, I guess my my junior year I wrote of college, I wrote a book on how to pick up women and like emotionally, not physically. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> no, I, like I think a, everyone gets what Okay, I just yeah. wanted to make sure that people weren't confused. Start it's with the legs. A leg and yeah. an arm. <laughs> you want to equally distribute weight and then a whipping motion. That's oh, a clean and jerk. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Um, there was a section on that in the book as well. Uh, we, we can get that part out of here. I don't know if that's a corporate podcast type of joke. But anyways, um, I wrote that and then I wrote some emails for a couple of guys while I was, I was actually in Brazil for a month playing tennis down there in between junior and senior year. And I got paid $1,100 to write something like 300 emails. I got five, $5 an email was what I got paid. And, uh, and then my senior year, my buddy bought some Bing ads and I wrote this little pre-sell page, which I didn't even know it was called copy still. I just wrote this little story about uh, what I'd learned from like violence and self-defense training and, and women basically. And it linked to the Dow Badass, a ClickBank product. Yeah. And I made my first ever sale on the Dow Badass, I remember where I was, I was in my apartment my senior year, and it was $113.84, and I just went sprinting through my apartment, literally put a broom between my legs like I was riding a horse, <laughs> and I was just amped. There's nothing like the first sale. It's just, because it's all of the hope of the future without any comparison to your past. Because mm. I remember like the first day we had a $10,000 day with my fixed water company, uh, I was like, Oh, cool, whatever, though, I've done more than this before. And I was like, no, 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 celebrate this. You've done more than this with, you know, a company you worked at, not your own business. And so it's important to, to learn to celebrate. We actually, you know, I was with Dom mm-hmm. uh, last week, and we were saying, I feel like you guys should send out a check for each person's first sale. Even if they want direct about you send them a check because that check is like, it's tangible, it's real. Right? It's this thing. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God, I can, I can make money online. This is a real thing. I know that there's all these people online who apparently did it, and I actually can do it now. And then I thought I was going to be, you know, rich right away. <laughs> it took a little longer, but I remember getting that like second sale was during a midterm in college, and I was I walked out and I checked my phone and I had another hundred and thirteen dollars and eighty four cents. People were taking the upsell, and I was just like, all these losers are going to go get jobs, and I'm just going to be rich. And it, but I really <laughs> did think I was like, I just got paid to take a test. I wasn't working. And that was an awesome feeling. It was like, it felt like passive income, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And that's yeah. what everything's been about for me is that how can I do work once and get paid on it forever? How can I do as little as possible and make as much as possible? Really, it was about, I don't want to be present. Would you say it's like getting paid for your results or driving, not for the effort you put into it a bit? Absolutely. It's that as, and the performance. And then really, it was about not being present. I didn't mm-hmm. want to have to be there to get paid because I was coaching tennis in summers and then also after college and I was getting 70 to 100 bucks an hour at, at 22 is good money but if I wasn't on the court I wasn't getting paid gotcha. and so it was about developing and that's where I, I took a job making $20 an hour writing email copy and VSLs and I was willing you'd think why would you take a $20 an hour job when you're making 70 to 100 an hour on no, a court? I've, I've taught tennis too and I totally get why you do that yeah it's exhausting well i looked <laughs> yeah. down at all the 35 and 45 year old guys yeah. were tired they were wrinkly the sun all day yeah they were in the sun all day. and if it mm-hmm. rained you don't get paid mm-hmm. if housewife number three had too many vodka tonics last night you didn't get paid if the little kid just didn't want to play today you didn't get paid and it was really though just 
I was I could already make as much as they were. There was I saw the glass ceiling and I was like, I'm not gonna be distracted by this. And so I took a twenty dollar an hour job and learned a skill and then that skills turned into, you know, a lot more money. I love it. Let's let's dive a bit into your past. And then I guess for people that don't know you, what's your accent? Oh, that's worth saying because people probably haven't heard a word I've said. They're like, where is this guy from? Yeah. Where is this, this weird accent? <laughs> South I'm, African? Is, is, he, is yeah. he South African? Um, I'm half English and half American, which means everyone thinks I'm Australian. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Even so. Aussies are like, mate, so good to see you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What brought you over here to Boise, mate? Actually, I don't think I've met any Aussies here. I don't think many. they've come no. here. I think that for some reason this is like a secret. They're all in like Vancouver. Yeah. My mom's Australian. And she's up in North Idaho and she's like the only one I've met. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom? My mom. Yeah. She's Australian? Yeah. She's born in Sydney. She grew up in, in, in Auckland though. So she's got more of a Kiwi accent. Yeah. You never told me this. Yeah. I, I did. We were just drinking, but yeah. <laughs> you probably did. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. I'll, I'll blame my memory. I couldn't even remember. You're concussed. That's okay. Yeah. Concussed. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So. Right, you mentioned like your five dollar. You got paid five dollars per email. You're writing now. Gosh, when's the last time you got paid to write an email, and how much was that? Well, I try not to to do straight up sure. getting paid from for other people, but it was fifteen hundred per email plus five thousand as a bonus if it beat the control of what I was writing. So a lot more. Yeah, and, and I ask you people, that not to like let you brag, um, but just to kind of highlight that. Right, you're sought after for your copy, but more so for the results you're driving with that copy. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, that email took me, like, I remember the last one I wrote for somebody else. It took me literally seven minutes to write it, and I made $6,500 from it. And they don't care. Like, right. And the best, the best clients, when I was freelancing, and this is a lot of what I teach now, and I, like, I basically mainly teach people how to manage other people's lists and write emails for other companies because, you know, it's such an easy way to get started making money. Even all these people on ClickBank, you know, there's so many people making sales that aren't following up properly, and and uh, but I, you know, I made that much, and, and I would ask clients, I said, do you care how much I work or do you care how much I make you? And and if they ever said nobody ever did, but if they said, well, I care how much time you put in, I'd go, cool, we're not supposed to work together. I don't care. I just want to win. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I like winning. <laughs> I like winning. Yeah. I mean, you can drive I want to get paid more. And I also tell them, I say, I will do the bare minimum if there's no incentive. Yeah, no, I'm a sales guy. I totally get that, right? It's like, okay, you want me to do that? Sure, but yeah. if your incentive <laughs> is to just not get fired, that's a bad incentive. Yeah, people are like, yeah, well, exactly. I just do it so I don't get fired. It's like that's a bad incentive. No, hundred percent. Is there? I wanted to ask, like, for the offer owners that are out there that are maybe, let's say they're having some success, right? Like, maybe a couple hundred sales a day, maybe less, right? But they're still haven't cracked like big scale that a lot of these guys can do in the space, um, and maybe they know that copy is where they really need to focus, whether it's top of funnel like ads or even headlines and that kind of thing. Um, if they're looking to hire copywriters and work with, maybe they, let's say they can't afford a top tier copywriter, right? And they don't have the cash to put down, you know, five figures up front, just kind of get them on the deck and kind of right. work with them. How do you kind of help people like that? Or how would you suggest they go forward to work with the right kind of copywriter to get them results? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting because there's a few different types of copywriters. I was there's kind of like three different places. There's kind of like the beginner, who when you take somebody new, you're taking a risk. Obviously, maybe they're good, maybe they're not. But sometimes you get really lucky, and you get somebody really good for really cheap. And that's it's unlikely, but it's possible. You know that happened for me. The first people that hired me, like I was just obsessive, and I did well, and they were paying me twenty dollars an hour, and I was generating, you know. 
hundreds of thousands per month, right? You know, right off the off the bat, and so you've got kind of that, and then you've got this middle area where people are charging maybe five grand, maybe ten grand, and there it's honestly it's very hit or miss. Like some of these people are just not very good, and some of them are really good and they're undercharging. So that's where you can kind of get a lot of bang for your buck, and then you've got, you know, if I'm freelancing, there's like there's me, there's Steph and Georgie, there's you know David Deutsch and Paris Lampropolis and these guys who you know, are going to charge 25 to 50 grand up front plus, you know, some back end. And a lot of people can't afford that. They also think they can't afford it, but it's an investment. And if like the way I structure my deals, and this is for the copywriters out there and for the business owners to talk to copywriters, find a way to create a win-win deal where there's less risk up front for the business owner, more payoff for the copywriter, because the copywriter really doesn't have risk other than their time. And if you can give them an incentive based on results, and it doesn't have to be royalties and stuff. It doesn't have to be monthly residuals. Like for the most part, those don't work. Mm. Because Why don't they work? They don't work because most relationships in, in life break down because of resentment. And resentment only breeds when you don't deal with things before or as they arise. So resentment gets built because this company's going, they wrote this shit six months ago, and I'm I keep sending them yeah. money. And so John Carlton said something, uh, really smart. He said, if you do royalties, make sure that the accounting department's separate from the marketing department. Because if they're just writing your check and the marketing and the business owner isn't seeing it, he's like, I have a client who's been paying me for 12 years. I don't think the main people even know. Because it's just getting you know pushed out right. like that. Yeah. It's like companies like Agora who are big enough and have a royalty system, sure, go ahead. But the thing is then somebody like me or somebody else comes along and beats your control and you stop getting paid. So I like to do flat fee stuff where it's like, they can very clearly say, if it makes this many sales, it gets this percentage increase, I'm gonna pay you this much. That's how you can get a great copywriter without all the risk up front, because you say, hey, I'll pay you five grand up front. Once we hit 100,000 in sales, I'll pay you another five grand. Once we get to 150, another five grand, 200, another five grand. So there's 20 grand in it for you, and you get to you know watch your cash flow. And that that's sort of the advantage I had is, or at least at this point, and I really don't freelance much at all, but being having been a business owner as well as a copywriter i get to understand both sides because copywriters go well i generated a million dollars in sales i'm like yeah and you generated you know twenty five thousand in profit off that first million because you don't realize how much is going into making that work at this point so you have to understand the numbers from both sides i think that's one of the best ways to do it is structure deals that delay the cash flow but give them you know that, that protect your cash flow so that you don't have to put 50,000 out right away, but you may be willing to, would you, you know, I was just ask, would you pay 50, if, if I said, give me $50,000 today and I'll give you $2 million in, in 60 days. Well, yeah, of course. Right. I'm saying that's what I'm going to do. So, but if you can delay it and make the deal sort of impossible to refuse, it'll work. And then the other thing is to go to people who have groups of copywriters that you can actually trust. Like I have a group of, you know, really legit copywriters who I can vouch for Justin off and Steph and Georgie do like you're much better off going there where you're also going to potentially get it chiefed by somebody good like I had a, a student yesterday who wrote an email for uh, V Shred mm, nice. and I came up with a pretty great thing and if they if you see what color is your fat that's you out there that'll okay. have been mine um, but like he's getting that idea from me and he's paying you know they're going to pay him whatever they pay him instead of paying me. And so you can get that advantage of kind of getting the higher end person. I don't say that because I'm arrogant and I'm the best. I'm just saying you're going to somebody with a lot of experience and getting somebody for a lot cheaper, but still getting some of that person's mind share. 
I like it because you're structuring it in a way, right, where you're almost paying a royalty, but you're structuring it where there's a cap with it, but you also get them on the hook, so to speak, the copywriter, I mean, to be engaged with you through that growth and continued testing process, right? Because it's like, okay, if I can, get an, if I can help them get another 100, I'm, there's 5K in it for me, right? Well, it, it really aligns you both. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, always, I, I always say is, I'd like to win kind of big when you win really big. So, you know, the way, other, another way is like, I'll just take a thousand per percent increase or 2,000 or three, whatever it is per percentage increase, because they know- so you're tying it to a result. They know their yeah. numbers. They know if, if I can get them a 30% lift, that's worth an extra $2 million this year. So would they pay me $30,000 for $2 million? Of course, all day, every day. And it's just making the numbers work in, in that way. And, and another thing to do is, whether it's a copywriter talking to the business owner, or, you know, and for ClickBank offer owners and stuff, is just saying, hey, what's a deal that's, if you guys can't seem to come to an agreement, if it's the deal that seems to be the problem, just ask what would be fair and exciting for you. And then if you don't like it, say yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, but then sometimes they come no, right? back and sometimes you let somebody else give you the deal and they come back and they're like, wow, they're going to pay me way more than I was going to ask for. I should have I should have done this more often. <laughs> you start to see what your value is actually worth, right? Nice. Um, You've done an interesting thing where I think you layer in humor in a way into a lot of your, what I can tell from like your top of funnel campaigns with ads and things like that, all the way down through your copy. Is humor to you something that any brand you think can leverage or should be leveraging? Or do you think it has to be like a personal brand or it has to be the right type of product? I think it can be anyone. Um, I think funny's funny. Like there in, you know, I do stand up as well and, and people say, oh, that's a hacky joke or that's a gimmicky joke or whatever. And you have people who think that way. And there are jokes that just seem easy and it's like, eh, okay. It's more as if it's been done too many times or if that's the only thing you've got is like talking about one thing. It's like, I get it. You just did 40 minutes on this one specific part about yourself. It's like, it was really funny for five minutes. It's old now. But the reality is funny is funny. If people are laughing, then that's good. Even if it's a cheap laugh or it's a joke or puns. Now, I've got a gut supplement brand that I just launched and, um, and I'm gonna do more of the you know proper poopery, you know, unicorn poop sure, type yeah. of thing. Cause people apparently love poop jokes. Like they love them. Like any poop puns are just incredible. And uh, and so and our tagline's gonna be get your shit together, literally. <laughs> and uh, it's called choose gut health. And so it's we've got all these jokes, or you know, I can do around chewing and around you know all these different things. Mm -hmm. But you can make it. Fun. It's a very serious thing because even in in the VSL, it's just me telling my story, a lot of it, and then sort of talking about the ingredients and why they work so well and where they come from. But this product genuinely changed my life. And so there's a very emotional story of me losing. 30 pounds having diarrhea i can't even say that in the sales letter for whatever purpose but i had diarrhea nine times a day i was in constant pain and that's a very emotional serious story but if i can use something comedic to bring them there it doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to watch something serious now i find and this is something sort of weird that i do and i didn't do it on purpose when i started but i sort of it's sort of my personality in general 95 percent of the time i'm very laid back fun don't really care about just just relaxed and then five percent of the time i'm a competitive psychopath who does a lot of weird physical challenges and have a weird level of pushing myself and played sports my whole life and so <clears throat> my whole personality is kind of this duality of laid back and and humorous and then one of the most intense people you've ever met and not a lot of people see the intense guy but when i wrote like when i wrote my 
the the first book confessions of a persuasion hitman the first line in the book is i thought i was going to kill people for a living and the the first part of that story there's nothing funny about it it's a very intense story and then the second chapter is about me stealing lemons and making lemonade and exploiting my grandmother for labor and you know and and all this stuff and it's it's quite a funny story <clears throat> and so what i've found is and i do this when i speak as well as i'll do I'll like open up joking around and or I'll open up very serious and then start joking around. And I wondered if it would work. I'm like, can people go from laughing to serious? And what I find is the more intense the swing of emotion is, the more they actually buy stuff and the more of a connection they create. Because if you're sort of in this middle ground, there's not a lot of emotion happening. And mm -hmm. emotion gets rid of logic and people buy on emotion and then they justify with logic. So if I can get them out of their mind and into their feelings, they're much more likely to buy stuff. And so I'm writing a new book right now and I just wrote the intro <clears throat> last night and it's about when I got mugged and I, I told, it's a very intense story. And um, and it's like, okay, well this book, you would not think a comedian wrote the, wrote the intro of this book. Then I go, well, can I add in humor down here and there? And if there's places for jokes and for, for lightheartedness, absolutely. And, and what I've found is especially in writing and in sales videos, if you can just get people to do the nose breathe laugh no, just the snort the, let's do that more into our podcast max yeah yeah it's gonna sound great does that sound good <laughs> um if you can just get that out of somebody in an email or something there's a little dopamine release and it separates you from everybody else because mm -hmm. most people aren't funny in writing well see oh, gosh i mean you've probably seen the same trend right a lot of these high volume sales letters start very heavy right it's a very big emotional pull um I'm partially to blame for that, I think, yeah. my first line stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, it just sucks you in. It's just like a big emotional story, like, oh my gosh, like what's gonna happen here? Um, like w in those types of funnels, is there room for humor? Like, and like, if so, where? I, I think there is. Um, I think sometimes I've found when I'm not, I, I can get lazy with it, where if I just put in, a little effort to add in a tiny little analogy here, a little joke here, one or two in an email or um, in a sales that are like little parentheses that make some little joke, it transforms the entire thing because it, you separate yourself from almost everyone. Even a lot of great writers can't be funny. They, they think they can't be funny, right? Everybody can be funny, but it's intense or it's serious or it's, they think that it's one thing. But the more you dimensionalize any piece of writing or sales letter, the more like there's eight core emotions that humans feel i want people to feel as many of those as possible in a sales letter or in a book or in an email because the more they feel the more the logic gets shut off and the more they're not it's like when i i don't know if you have this but when i got super obsessed with marketing and, and ads i would watch ads from the perspective of a salesperson and be like you know i'm studying them right and they still ha it's hard to turn that part of your brain off but there'd be times where i start studying one and then i notice like a minute later I'm just consuming this ad. Right. You're like, oh, and this is like, Now you're like, wait. Something just happened because yeah. I just got emotionally pulled into this. So I think there's space for it. I think it's just, it's got to be tasteful. There's times that people try and just do outlandish stuff to try and Shock be funny. Shock and awe almost or slapstick. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. they're trying to be polarizing to be funny. And it's like, they're just shocking and it's not actually funny. But I think there are places like, even in, I don't know if I have anything funny in my gut and the choose gut health VSL but I'll make little just tiny playful jokes or things or even messing up on camera I think is one of the best things you can do is not correcting every piece because people aren't attracted to perfect people 
you know, the, uh, I think the, the greatest gift of being human is the gift of imperfection. We're supposed to fuck shit up. That's <laughs> why we're here. What did, you know, what is the first thing Eve did in the Garden of Eden? God's <laughs> like, God's like, dude, he's like, you guys, this One is rule. the best garden ever. <laughs> there is so much good stuff here. I mean, it's amazing. Look at this thing. People are going to talk about this garden forever. Just don't touch an apple. She's like, it's great, but... The snake says it's awesome. I just, yeah. I, I want that <laughs> apple. Apple's not even that good, man. And she takes the apple. And the reason for that and why that's common amongst different religions and stuff that there's some mistake is because that's why we're here. We're human. We're supposed to make mistakes. And people are attracted to the rough edges of us, to the stories, to the flaws, to the broken pieces. So when you try to be perfect and you show this incredibly polished thing, it's like a used car salesman. We all have that same vibe. Or the guy, you know, oh, but wait, there's more. Right, and it's yeah. like the the more popular stuff is like QVC where people are messing up and ladders are falling on them and there's mistakes happening. Well, I think it's stuff. like, yeah, if you look at like, you know, Billy Mays or something, some of the greatest salesmen on TV and things like that, they don't look, you know, like a great salesperson almost. You know, Billy Mays, you know, he's a little thumpy, you know, he's this middle-aged bearded guy. Like, it's like there's something charming about it, yeah. right? It's like, oh, It's the yeah. naturalness. It's yeah. like, this is a person. Yeah, exactly. It's like even a great actor. Like I've been watching different Kevin Costner stuff late, lately, and he's so good. And like I don't know if you've ever seen Tin Cup. It's a great movie. And yeah, of course, uh, of course, I've oh, seen Tin Cup. Yeah, it stands, but yeah. it stands up. By the way, I was wondering if it was still <laughs> it does, gonna be yeah. good. It's so good. But when you watch Kevin Costner, you're like I just believe him because he doesn't seem like an actor. He seems like the person he is, he's which is what you're supposed guy, to do. Right? Yeah. Well, he just when he's playing that sort of you know, mobile puck, golf guy, you're like, I believe him as that person. I don't think I'm watching an actor play a role. I think I'm watching him be that person. Yeah. And Matthew McConaughey talked about that in his book. He went to an acting class and they were like, um, you know, he started to think too much. And he was like, just be, just be your man. You know, just, just be the character, be the thing, become what that is. And I think that's, people can feel that instead of that little layer of like, I'm on camera now. This is my camera voice. I'm going to be different. Yeah. No, gosh, this reminds me of a story with, um, I had a friend in the industry and they decided to kind of rip Emily Lark's offer, right? They're like, Oh, this is crushing it. They're doing so well. We're going to do what she's doing, but better. And right. And they hired someone that looked a lot like Emily. <laughs> they uh, bought out a studio to go film in, you know, funnel hack the script if you will probably wasn't that hack probably more more just copy pasted mm -hmm. and it bombed like it didn't do well at all yeah and like and you could just look at the two of them and just feel this like sheen to it right and it just didn't feel like emily's offer felt it, yeah on the face of it it looked a little better it looked a little more polished but it just didn't connect it's that right? hum it's that authentic you know, the cool thing about authenticity is you can't fake it mm -hmm. people try very hard but at the end, they'll either be exposed or, you know, they'll be, or, or I'll make a parody of it. Um, these people that are just, you know, you're like, how are people buying this person? Shit, this is such garbage. But like Emily's got, well, I know one of her BSLs did well. She was just like, yeah, I just filmed it on my phone in my living room. Yeah. And I just was talking. And it's like, yeah, you can't fake that part. You can't recreate the person who, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You could take, I'm sure, numerous of Billy Mays offers have somebody else go on camera and it wouldn't have worked. Right, with the exact same script, right? Same yeah. script, same words. It's like, you, I can record the same script, have a different energy, and get different results. Like literally, mathematically, you know, tested results different based on the energy that I come in with. People are like, you can't use energy and copy. Don't talk about woo-woo shit like energy. <laughs> I'm like, well, how you feel, and this is the same with writing, 
it's all a transference of energy. How you feel on camera is gonna get pushed through to the person. If you're having a good time, like I've been with stand-up, I had my first set a few weeks back that I didn't really have fun. And I and the whole set, it like just I just didn't have a great time. And I was like, oh, that's not why I'd, I do this to so the next set. I went up, I've been doing these jokes about Mormons, uh, which is politically correct right now. You know, nobody seems well, to, I, to no, be bothered about it. Yeah, it's yeah. a great <laughs> audience for it. But I just went up on stage. I didn't write material and just went, I'm going to have a great time. And people had a great time. It's like if you can get on camera or write, whether it's painful, if you're writing about painful stuff, get into your pain. Whatever you're feeling, they're going to feel. So the more you can feel when you're writing or filming, the more the people watching and reading are going to feel. How, if you're, again, if you're like an offer owner hiring a copywriter, how can you get them the right material to help them get into that space and get you better copy? If you're the offer owner and you want the copywriter to... I guess, like, um, yeah, if you're working with copywriters, right? Like what do you need as a copywriter to kind of help get to that level? Do you just do all the research yourself? Do you need materials from the client to kind of help you get to a certain uh, point? Like the best thing to get from the offer owner is like the testimonial stories mm, and like the okay. video versions of those because you can see the people who have the feeling in it and also then you can put those into the VSL. Uh, testimonials are super useful because then you can write in the language of the people that actually have used the product. Um, the thing that I typically do is uh, I'll just go look for an emotional story online that may not be about the product, but relates to what I'm going to be selling. Like the, you know, a sales letter I wrote that has sold a ton of a $2,000 solar generator. The first line is John didn't know he's going to die that night. And the story is about a guy who lit a candle during the blackout in New York City and his trailer park you know his mobile home caught on fire and he died and then another guy who had a generator uh, and the gas leaked out and he died from carbon monoxide he was prepared and it's just this emotional story that had nothing to do with the solar generator but I it was about electricity and energy and about you know these sad deaths and then it led into the rest of the sales letter and I found that story myself and I did one for another survival thing and I found these two guys who got stuck on a boat that went like 3,000 miles from where they went. They went on an island. One of them survived. The other one didn't. The difference was one literally was willing to drink turtle blood. The other wasn't. It's who's willing to survive. And so you can find these stories online, but it's up to, if you're the offer owner, you want to give them as much ammo as you can, like as much cannon fodder as possible. And then as the copywriter, it's your job to go and do all the research you can to find obscure stories and random things that somebody else hasn't found that like unique and interesting, like don't be boring. The more unique things you find, the more it's going to stand out and people are going to remember it. I love that. Yeah. Can we, let's dig into a little bit, um, with storytelling. Cause I think that's one of your strengths, right? It's like in all the copy, you know, all the emails I get from you and like kind of everything else you put online, it's most of them I'm going to say based around a story. Um, do you have a way that, like, gosh, I think we can all think of a friend, right? Who's just great at telling stories, you know, that can just kind of like rattle something off at the top of your head and just flows naturally. People laugh at the right spots. Like I've always been super jealous of that. Like, do you have something, does it natural for you? Or when you're writing copy, do you have like a structure you try to follow? Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan Ferrari, right? Yeah. Yeah. That just made me laugh because Dan always says that he's got this friend who's a better storyteller than me. And he just does it to piss me off. He'll literally <laughs> write an email to his whole list and he'll put in one line and he'll even say, this is just to piss off one of my friends. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Dan Ferrari. He's a great copywriter and yeah. human being. I'm actually talking to him tonight. But uh, <clears throat> um, he's a good storyteller as well. I, I learned, I would say the first thing is learn how to not tell a story. 
And I'm I great learned, at that. Yeah. I learned I learned how I learned that from my father. My dad's this big six four, two hundred twenty pound, like just athletic, you know, very you think I'm confident, I got it from this guy. He walks into a room and I mean literally we would be in rooms with it's like Wayne Gretzky and it's these incredibly rich people that he was, you know, never made more than 90 grand a year and he didn't give a fuck because he's the best tennis player there. And he just walks into a room and commands the room and he's got very interesting stories. But the way he tells stories can ruin these great stories because he's like, uh, we were out there with, he's the English one, <laughs> we were out there with, um, I was there with uh, Veronica. Um, actually, was it, uh, was it Susan? Or was it, oh, who was it? I go, do I know her? No. Well, then I don't care. Just pick a name. Right, yeah. And he goes, all right, all right. Well, it was, uh, so it was, it was, yeah. it was Tuesday. <laughs> oh, it could have been Wednesday, couldn't it? Or was it Saturday? Oh, well, and, and you're like, oh, my God, these details are not important. And that was the most important thing I learned is get rid of the details that don't matter um, and get to the point. Now, what's interesting is literally last night I'm in this group now with Neil Strauss is helping people go through writing a book. And so um, I paid quite a bit of money to be in this and last night we worked on my intro and and what was interesting to see is a lot of these writers didn't set the scene well and these aren't necessarily writers like I'm a writer this is what I do professionally so it's a little different being in a group with non-writers or some of them are but they they kind of skip these people you don't know where they are in the story you're like well where are you where is this and he went the first lines I had is you know I was walking from uh, walking to a train station from a tennis academy in London. It was a dark, wet night as it usually is. I was, you know, going up the, like I'm, I'm literally setting the scene. I'm telling right. you where I was. I'm, and I, the first line is when I was 15 years old, five men stole my freedom. You know, and it's, you know how old I was. You know what's going on. So set the scene, but you know, you don't have to talk about uh, what I hate about like certain fiction novels and stuff is like a candle flickered in the wind. 20 miles away like that that doesn't affect the story does it affect the story if I tell you that bottles and trash blew across the floor where I was standing yes but I all this superfluous as a tree miles away whispered in your ear with the wind and the breath went down you know it's like that's not relevant to the story whereas when I say that the first mugger yelled at my face and I could feel his hot breath in the cold air like that's right. different he that's relevant to the story now you know how close he is so give details that are relevant to the story itself. The show don't tell model, right? Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. and really the best and and actually it's funny because Neil said this yesterday. But I started I started writing a uh, a screenplay a while ago, and I'll just I'll put it out here. So when it's on Netflix, you guys can be like, oh my god, I heard about it on ClickBank's podcast. <laughs> what am I going to hear about on here next? Uh, but it's called Killing, and it's about a comedian who kills on stage. And he also kills people. <laughs> the Dexter of comedians. And it's yeah, basically, it. yeah. it's like if if Dexter and Seinfeld <laughs> intercoursed each other oh, and birthed man. this show is sort of how I think about it. Um, and then you had a sort of Australian guy playing the the lead character. But the, the I wrote the opening scene, and, and I, I didn't know how to write a screenplay because it's quite technical. There's yeah. a whole skill of writing screenplays. So I went, all right, well, I don't want that to stop me. So all I did is I, I went, let me write the most visual representation of what I see in my mind let me just be as visual with this as possible and I did this last night with the intro to the new book I just went let me ex like explore everything as what I see that's what great books do right you see everything you're seeing like when you're reading Harry Potter and yeah I'm gonna call that a great book because they are um, you you see everything right before the movies came out you could see all the pictures you created imagery of all these characters and everything in your mind so think in 
pictures, not in words. Like, how can you use these words to create intense pictures? Vivid pictures and in someone's mind. You know, yeah. and there's there's little tips there of like, you know, her her feet pitter pattered into the room. Right, she padded into the room. You can picture that's, how she's that's actually the Chris walking. Haddad to do that, stuff right? he always yeah. does. You know, it's it's how did they walk? It's the specifics of those things that create that image of you know how they were actually moving or or what they were doing. It's not he got angry. It's his fists clenched and his face turned red. Right, that creates the picture. So that's one part of it. And then um, a big part is basically anytime you're telling stories, all you're doing is building and releasing tension. Mm-hmm. That's if you want to break it down to two very simple things. You're building tension and you're releasing tension. So is this part of the story building tension or is it releasing it? And before you release tension, preferably you open a loop that builds tension for later so people have to keep reading. That One of the biggest things with copy and with VSLs and with you know a lot of ClickBank offers, I remember there was a big ClickBank offer, this must have been like five years ago, and uh, another friend of mine, they had it transcribed and they counted the open loops and it was like 150 open loops. And probably what, like a 40 minute VSL? Yeah. The, 30 or 40, it was yeah. the, I think it was Wesley Virgin's, you okay, know, yeah. the gunshot. Oh, ran by M16 my face in my face, and, yeah, 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 that one. Mm-hmm. You know. My briefcase, that never comes back in this, yeah. <laughs> I could never keep watching after the the very start, but it's like, it's all the, the, there's that many open loops. So, you know, relying on true storytelling methods like open an open loop is basically people try and make it this fancy Hollywood sexy thing all it is is you're asking a question in the reader's mind and you're not answering it right now if you want to see the best simple open loop telling it's in how I met your mother which is like my go-to a great go example. to sleep yeah. show like simple show all they do is he goes but more on that later that's the simplest thing if you want to just get pretty good at copy and opening loops is you just say but I'll answer that later first let me tell you my own story before I get to that, or I'll talk about that in eight years. That show should not be called How I Met Your Mother. It should be called <laughs> Everyone I Had Sex With Before Your Mother. Yes. He should not be telling these stories to his children. They're ridiculous. The, the, I just watched from the other night. He's just talking about how good cigarettes are. Yeah, like, this no, is a terrible message. It's so the writer's not really knowing how he met the mother. It's like, wait, okay. Yeah, they didn't know. <laughs> yeah, like building like, we're going to put this little thing here and then whatever. And it's like, it's not about meeting her. We don't we find don't about her till the last season. Yeah. And then they just cobble something together and go there. Yeah. And you're kind of like, eh. I ship it. It was fine. That's a good example also. But it's you don't have to be super fancy. Don't let all of this imagery and all this stuff, you know, overwhelm you. One of the best facets of storytelling is writing at a third grade level mm-hmm. and making your, your shit easy to read because there were also, it's funny timing you asked me this just because last night I, I got to see different examples of other writers and some of you can tell that they're trying to write. They're like, the flames were, you know, were bellowing in my mother's uh, belly and and you're like, I get that you're trying to write but you're not going anywhere. It's like watching Brazilian kids play soccer. You're like, I get it. it. You're doing beautiful. all these tricks. Yeah. I, I, you know, cool. Yeah. You didn't go anywhere. You're in the same spot you started. Did it look cool? Sure. But I'm actually getting down the field, buddy. Like, do something. Move the ball forward. It's just like it's all flash and no, you know, no stake. That's right, not the like right a, phrase. I think, I think okay. you put this in your book, right? What's the point of the headline? Get them yeah. to read the next line. What's yeah. the point of the next line? Get them to read the next line, right? Bring them through the structure. Yeah, it's yeah. not to sell the thing in the beginning. It's just to get them to keep reading. And and I think actually it's funny because writing a book now, I'm like, I'm writing it like a copywriter. I'm trying to get straight to the point. I'm like, oh, I can actually build this scene a little more. Because you got to realize when anybody hits a sales page, they're trying to leave. Mm, like, oh, shoot. They're <laughs> trying to leave or in a small percentage of them are trying to really, they're trying to be sold. And um, when you look at, 
uh, like a book, somebody's made a decision, and maybe they pick it up in a bookstore, not so much anymore, but they decided to read the book, they're gonna give you more of a chance. That doesn't mean be lazy, but in copy, if your first sentence is weak, you know, you could have the best sales letter beneath that and people are leaving. So, you know, don't open sales letters or videos with, hey, my name is so-and-so. Nobody gives a shit who you are until right. they care, until they know why you care about them and why they should keep watching. No, I love that. Last thing I want to dive in with you before we wrap this up is I want to kind of talk a bit about the fixed water campaigns you did, uh, or you did. Are they still out there that people can watch? Because I'd love to put them in the show notes. If I so. think if they, if you, if you still Google Ian drinks toilet water, you'll find something you'll like find that. It. Yeah. I'm actually working with a new water. Co- I sold fixed water um, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and then I'm actually working with a new company coming up here to we might bring back the old toilet water oh, right. so because i just want to frame it a bit because i think people have heard of it or they've seen it right and it's essentially you going around and using the water filter you know the fixed water filter it's a straw filter right you kind of there was through. a straw we mm-hmm. had a pitcher we had bottles yeah and the straw the straw was our best seller at fixed though yeah and you went around and you drank water out of puddles on the street out of toilets in the lax airport right mm-hmm. all these like objectively Gross disgusting places, places right yeah. And I think on the front of it, people are like, oh, it's just shock and awe, right? But I'd love for you to peel back the layers a bit mm-hmm. there on why that type of campaign works, not just from like a funny, like shock level, but like what is actually happening when you show that kind of thing with a product? Yeah, well, I thought the first video was uh, was funny. I was like, hey, I'm yeah. in and I'm it, about it, to it drink toilet funny. paper yeah. and it's like jackass, right? I, I thought it was funny and then I talked to Ron Lynch was actually, Ron Lynch. It remi- and, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Ron's he, show, Don't Tell. Right? I yeah. met him because of that video. I was 25, I had done so, that video. Oh, I thought, sorry, I thought you had worked with him and then made up, came up with that campaign or something. You did that nope. before Ron. I had never even wow. been on camera other than I made one, I used to make videos with my friends as mm-hmm. a kid um, and then I didn't do anything on camera until uh, I made this one video called the lifty table. You know, those silly coffee tables that lift up. Yeah, yeah. I did this stupid video with my roommate when I was in San Diego and I had my arms in this, in a shirt. And I was like, are your arms too short? Are tables too low? And it was this stupid fake infomercial for the lifty table. It's still, if you watch it, by the way, it's like the funniest testimonial of something sticking in someone's head. Uh, a student of mine was like, my daughter was singing 1-800-LIFTY-TABLE just in the, this morning because of that. But I hadn't done any videos tonight, but the first time when I was at Crisis Education and we knew we were going to start selling this water pitcher, I said, oh, we should drink out of it. I said, how good are the filters or whatever? And I was, they were like, they're really good. I was like, could I drink out of a toilet? They're like, well, yeah. And I was, that was my first idea. Gotcha. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that, whatever. And then like a few months later, I convinced them to let me start doing stuff on camera and that was the first video we filmed it was on an iPhone and the big thing though is this is one of the most important things for people to understand about demonstrations and about proof in your copy and in your VSLs is there's a difference between what I call deniable proof and undeniable proof so there's another company I've done a lot of consulting for that had a water filter offer and they would go look it can filter anything and they would pull the stuff in the top of it and then they would cut and it would come out and I'm like that's like the essentially the equivalent of shooting a basketball seeing right. it go nowhere near the hoop and then cutting and it's a swish sure. swish yeah. swish like we don't know what happened at the it's cut it's a Halle Berry yeah. Catwoman basketball yeah, scene you right? can't, yeah. exactly <laughs> you, you can't yeah. cut if you cut once during a demonstration you lose all of your validity so instead of if you've got a 20 minute demonstration you have to go through because it's time lapsed put an iPhone up on this not not like a virtual 
timer. I mean, literally set an iPhone in front of the camera. Oh, with a timer going? Hit the timer. Mm -hmm. Speed it up. You can see that this is real. Like, if you give somebody one little tiny ability to doubt what it is that you've just done, you lose everyone. You lose everything. So I always, I view those type of ads and, and that type of proof as I look at it like I'm trying to figure out a magician's trick. And there's a great one of, I don't know if you've seen when David Blaine's with Ricky Gervais and David Blaine has what, you know, that's a magic trick, but really he goes, he goes, he's like, Ricky, doesn't it look like I'm putting this needle through my arm? And he goes, David, he said, what are you talking about? He said, you are, that's not magic. Said, that's just a fucking needle through your arm. <laughs> And you go, you can't deny that that's just a needle through his arm. And that's what he kind of did to magic is he, it's not magic. He's just putting a fucking needle through right. his arm. Yeah. And so I want that level of you look at the trick from every angle and you go, this can't be a trick. He's actually doing this. And so in that first toilet water ad, if you can, if you go and find it, it's on an iPhone and there's not a single cut. And there's me going back into the, you know, into the and I will say this: the guy who was in the toilet was staged. Um, oh sure, he's yeah. from our company, yeah. but he, uh, but he looked like someone he didn't want to drink after, <laughs> and we blurred his face. But he, uh, you know, he came out. But there's no cuts because if there was one single cut in that video, all of the integrity is gone. So whenever you're going to do something with proof, like you have to look at it from the perspective of like think of your worst friend. Or the most annoying guy who you never want to watch a movie. Well, that, that's that's not real. Sure. I don't yeah. want to, like that just guy that you're like, oh my god, you're annoying. Do you ever just like enjoy things? Think of that guy. Think of that guy watching your video, trying to pick apart the problems. And that's what Billy Mays did so well is they would, you know, drive over stuff with cars and they would do all these crazy demonstrations. I've seen to like the a flex seal go, of the boat now and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and like you just great, go, okay, yeah. mm -hmm. that's real. Yeah. You can't, like, how how much can you make it undeniable proof versus deniable proof? Because the difference between that can be a $100 million company and a $100 company. Like, literally, people buying in to the fact that something's real. I love that. No, thank you, man. Um, what... So you have a lot of things going on, right? That's I can never keep track of what you're actually doing. I'm like, what... <laughs> Me <laughs> neither. He, yeah, it's like, is he... What is he chasing right now? What... This is your chance maybe to do like a shameless plug, if you will, but I'm also just genuinely curious, like what is driving you forward right now? What are you excited about? Yeah. Um, well, if I say all the things, I guess I'm, I'm writing a book called How to Get Lucky, and it's, it's not about picking up women. It's about sort of decoding the scientific, like people think of luck as one thing. You know, it's just chance. But the reality is there's, I've made, there's seven types of luck, and we can actually affect our luck and the good things that happen to us by taking certain actions. Um, which is just a really fun thing that I, I think it's weird because everybody knows about luck, but nobody seems to understand it. And I somehow seem to ironically get lucky and figure <laughs> it out. Um, and then the really the main thing, so I have focused my life a lot more. And we now have the one main company, it's called Almost Passive Income. We help people make more money in less time while having more fun. Um, and you can go and uh, you can get my book. That's the best way to get on our list is just, it's Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman. It's persuasionhitman.com. Don't buy it on Amazon, buy it on my site because <laughs> then you'll get my emails and see everything. Or you can just go to feedthewolf.com uh, to opt in. I'm on, I'm on the Instagram at Becoming Ian Stanley. Uh, and then I do have the gut supplement company, which is the chewable supplement that changed my life. I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease a few years back and it totally changed my life. So basically... The passive income, almost passive income business, gut health, and then 
and then stand up's really the biggest thing that I'm still I'm making my I did three sets last week. I'm gonna make Boise. Are you, you just go like to town. Liquid down here? Like, uh, liquid closed three days after I moved here. Oh, that's right. And talk about poetic irony. The only I comedy club LA, in Boise. Yeah. Where do you, you do stand up then? Uh, Mad Swede downtown, oh, okay. mm-hmm. and then uh, Eastside Tavern. It's like a minute and a half from my house. Okay. When and, I come out uh, of my house from this COVID hole yeah. I'm in, I'll definitely come see it. It's you. fun. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a good time. The um, but really, you know, putting stand up first and uh, just making silly videos. Been doing a lot on YouTube and. And, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm partnered with Cam now, mm-hmm. as you know, my business partner used to work for ClickBank. So we're very t- <laughs> my first ever sale was at ClickBank. Oh, no way. I love that. Cam, you know, used to work at ClickBank. And so, um, that's the main stuff. That's, you know, I'm trying, I'm doing better. I used to have like four or five companies yeah. <laughs> at once and I learned that that doesn't work. So you've only got three, two or three. Let's call it two. Two, two and a half. Technically, there's one that's a consulting company, you know, the LLC, but it's it's really two companies. Gotcha. And, okay. and that's it. And one of them's 90% of my focus. And, and that was the biggest thing that changed my income and everything last year was just saying no to almost everything and going, Let, let's just do one thing really well. And, and if you look at, you know, to sort of tie this together for from a ClickBank perspective, there are people who are affiliates who are trying to sell this product and that product and all these different things and, and doing a ton of different things at once. And then you've got the guys who just pick an offer, blow up that offer and keep optimizing yeah, and that. Even they'll pick a traffic source, they'll pick an offer, right? And they'll just like, okay, I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah. Not like, oh, I tried this one tactic here and that tactic there. Gosh, just keep, keep working on that one thing. Cause what I've always had a problem with is we'll get one funnel working right away. And, and your camel joke about this, but it's, it's weird because pretty much everything I've put out, I've never had something not work. And so what that means is I go, oh, we'll, we'll make it even better later, but it works well enough that we don't even go back to fix it. And then I go, well, new funnel time, new funnel time, <laughs> new product, new product. Yeah. And so we have 45 products. And last year I went, I'm not allowed to create new products right now. We're just doing this one and we're gonna blow this one up and that's our focus. So from a ClickBank perspective, you know, even just becoming a, a super affiliate for one product, like you don't have to constantly chase all these different offers and all this different stuff. Just the more focused you get, the more you can say, uh, you know, no to the shiny objects, the faster things are going to grow for you. I love that. Thanks, man. So no, I'll, I uh, listened to your book, read through it uh, this last week. Um, I don't know why I had it before. I think it's just my hubris. I'm like, I'm not going to read Ian's book. No, I know Ian. Yeah, I don't need his book. <laughs> it's really it's good. good. I, I actually you. got a lot out of it. I appreciate that. Um, so you can get that at persuasionhitman.com. Yep. And then feedthewolf.com. If you want to just go opt in and you yeah. don't want to give me money yet. Then just that's what I did first. Wolf. I just got your emails from feedthewolf.com for yeah. ages and they're great too. You can just kind of get a, yeah, I share the same course. stuff with free mm-hmm. people and buyers. I, I like to treat everybody the same. It's a, you know, that's not even me trying to be politically <laughs> correct. I just think people are equal. And no, I don't what know. I, what I love about going through someone's funnel, like yours, right? Who's a good copywriter funnel and offer builder, if you will, inherently is just to go through and see how you're structuring a, whatever offer you have on your site. Right. And then go through your upsell sequence and just see how you're positioning it. I love just to tease it a bit. Like the, my dog's sad, right? Like, uh, yeah, you saw that, <laughs> like yeah. all the little videos you go through because I downselled a few times. And the, the, the much sunny side up. Keep this up. It, yeah, it's my. It's clever. I've, yeah. I have exploited my dog a little bit in my videos, uh, but I've spent insane amounts of money on him and insane <laughs> he's, amounts he's of time with him. And you know, he's got to pay for himself. Somehow. Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you for joining. Ian, not Ian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah. Excited to see what you keep doing in the future. And thanks for hopping on this podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. It's yeah. fun. Awesome. Bye, Bye camera lad. Happy scams. <laughs> <laughs>